Hi, everyone. It's International Forest Day, and it's 10 years ago that the United Nations General Assembly proclaimed the 21st of March as International Day of Forests. And it's a day to celebrate and raise awareness of the importance of all types of forest. And countries are encouraged to undertake local and national and international efforts to organize activities involving forests and trees, such as, for instance, tree planting campaigns. But you can think of all kinds of other ways how uh, governments and also companies and individuals can can celebrate uh, the importance of uh, of forest. And of course, since we are the Green Living uh, podcast, which is, uh, as most listeners will know, every Monday at 11 o'clock Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, you would expect us, of course, to pay attention to forest. Uh, this is typically a day for the Green Living uh, podcast. And um, and it's about how you can experience forest and why forests are good for you and why forests are actually good for the planet. So um, we always do this together, um, together with uh, Vanessa Champion. So hi, Ness. Uh, great to see and hear you again. Well, what is your favorite forest? Hi, Alex. Nice to see you too um, and hear you too. Um, yeah, my favorite forest, well, I suppose, you know, I, I was thinking about this, but when I was a kid... I lived, I was born in London. I was born in North London, um, in Highgate, and then we moved to Crouch End. So anybody who's listening who knows London will kind of be familiar with those places. Um, but when I, we used to go to Highgate Woods, and I had little Jack Russell, and um, and I'm an only child, so I don't have any brothers or sisters. You know, everybody get the violins out. Ah, oh, but there was me and the dog, and uh, we used to go round Highgate Woods, and um, I used to play hide and seek with this Jack Russell. I, I mean, I just I love Jacks anyway because they're just so intelligent animals. Um, but I, I that was one of, that was my one of my favourite sort of forests really. Um, we I used to play hide and seek. We used to you know all the sort of the young fallen branches that had fallen down. You know, you, the crunch of them under my feet and the leaves. And then we used to go blackberrying and, you know, look at all the mushrooms. We didn't collect mushrooms because none, none of us in the family were any good at that. You know, we didn't want to poison each other either. either so <laughs> there's something I do want to do, actually do a bit of foraging. But that's another, another thing for another day. Maybe that's maybe that's a podcast from in the field <laughs> um, and rather than the back of a, a, a hospital van or an A&E. Um, but, um, but now... Um, locally actually i live in the chilton hills and um, i'm just off the the national ridgeway walk and and i'm right near ashridge forest and it is absolutely stunning it's extensive um it's fantastically maintained um sensitively maintained as well um you know when the logs fall down they're left um and um and, and it's just there's a myriad of mushrooms and insects and life um, and the smells as well, all different times of year. Um, I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I swear I shoot a lot of my nature landscapes uh, for healthcare centres and workplaces. Um, and I said, you know, it's a haven of colours all year round. Um, I, I love it best in autumn with all the oranges and russets and golds and yellows and oranges. And it's it's just like you're walking through. Well, it's, yeah, I think it's I think it's the best treasure trove. You know, I don't we don't need uh, jewellery. It's actually the best treasure trove is, is nature. Um, I love it also with with, you know, in the wintertime, the snowfall. Um, in the spring, the, the bluebells up here are phenomenal. There's different pockets of, of bluebells, and I've I've done views, music video shoots up there for for Dare Summer and promotional 
bra- uh, photos for a brass player, Matt Winch, who was absolutely cool. He played in the woods. It was fantastic. He got got the trumpet out and he was like, and I said, oh, I, I want to sort of, I didn't want to just see his cheeks puffed out. I just kind of wanted him to sort of press the buttons and stuff, you know. Obviously, they've probably got a technical term for the buttons. He'll probably never talk to me again because he told me about it in the past. Um, but it was amazing. He played played them in the woods, you know. So, I mean, what a lovely thing. Music and woods. You can't really, <laughs> you can't <laughs> than that, you know. So, um, oh, and, and the summer and the picnics and stuff. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to rab it on. Alex, what's your, what's your favourite? <laughs> I'm sure you've got like, I was thinking about it while you were talking, what, what the favorite is. I, I liked what you were saying about um, how first changes and uh, looking at all the seasons, because I just needed a picture for um, what I just posted on, on Twitter, the announcement. I'm, I'm nowadays doing making kind of picture that is more eye-catching than, than just the, the, the standard thing that we used to have. So I got, went to my iPhone and I typed in the search bar forest. And then I got like, I think, 1,500 pictures. And then scrolling through to find a good picture, I just noticed the, the immense diversity of you know forest in the snow or very dark forest or light forest or all kinds of different, um, uh, different forms of forest and all kinds of different seasons. And um, yeah, and I, I was on, on my favorite forest I'm, I'm i'm a bit in doubt because uh if you ask me in which forest i would like to be right now if i would have some kind of machine to to transfer me to another place in the world um it would probably be the relatively small forest on on my island close to my house because i i just love to be there i i just feel so at home and so at ease when i'm when i'm there but maybe one of the most spectacular forests that i've seen in my life i've seen several rainforests in 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 the tropics but one that is is particularly popping up when when thinking about this is these temperate rainforest in british columbia and that is uh that's such a spectacular forest and and i i love rainforest because everything is is connected you really see the perfect balance of the cycle of life you see for instance a a tree that has fallen down but then becomes uh the 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 nurturing ground for other trees to grow on that's often why you see even in non-planted forests that uh, quite a few trees are standing in a straight line that is because that reason they're they're growing on on the the trunk or what do you call that on 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 the former a former tree that was of course straight and therefore you see, often see you see trees in a straight line and then then if you just the way i remember those forests the the the, the lush green of those 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 that carpet on the ground um trees that are centuries old and then then all the wildlife that is there and and i i thought that was really really the most spectacular forest where I ever ever walked and of course I've been in tropical forest or not of course maybe but I've traveled a lot and I've been in tropical forest and those are warmer of course closer to to the equator um, but these temperate rainforests are are really uh, spectacular and 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 uh, the, those are on latitudes b- between the two tropics and and the polar circles um and about 25% of the temperate rainforest in the world, most people don't even know they exist, uh, are all in uh, in British Columbia. Um, yeah, just to uh, to 
add one more to it. So now I'm giving you three forests instead of the one you asked for. I also remember this spectacular little forest. It's small, actually. It's a small area on the island of La Gomera. It's one of the Canary Islands, which are known to be very warm and sunny. But if you go uh, high enough, and La Gomera is like, like a kind of perfect volcano. It's just a round island, and it takes you about three hours to get across if you would do it by car, and that's only because the road is bending so much. Um, but on the on the highest point, which is about 900 meters, you get a, a different microclimate. And there are uh, there's also... A, a, a spectacular forest in a place where you wouldn't expect it because on, on you find on the beaches you know germans laying in the sun uh, and and uh, and then in the middle of the island where not many people go there's a beautiful forest the the similar kind of forest that used to grow on madeira but it was completely ruined because they they burned it down to find agricultural uh, ground agricultural land um but this one is still intact. So if anybody ever goes to the Canary Islands, skip Tenerife and, and Gran Canaria and those kind of, of, of islands. But just from the south of Tenerife, take a little ferry to the island of La Gomera. It's a spectacular, beautiful place. And, and most tourists completely forget about that island. So uh, so that's, um, yeah, so some travel tips, uh, my island and then Vancouver, including Vancouver Island and including La Gomera. Did I ever mention that I love islands? Um, <laughs> I have something with islands. I got bookshelves full of uh, books about islands. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, back to you, Ness. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I've, I've, I've been to the Canaries and, uh, I'm not, you know, it's funny, really interesting because the sort of volcanic um, nature of it and it's kind of... Um, there's some really sort of primitive aspects to that, you know, obviously the rock rock homes and the rock dwellings and everything. Um, but I didn't know about that. Lago de Mera. I, I'm going to have to, as a good excuse to go there, because it's a bit of winter sun from my point of view. If ever we do, allow, we're ever allowed to travel again. And if we're ever, anyway, I'm going to try and justify that travel, haven't I? I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> maybe I'll there. <laughs> Those um, islands are spectacular. It's one of my favorite places on, on, on the world, even though it's known for mass tourism, etc. But you yeah. just have to, to get away from the beach and, and then you get the island for yourself, uh, wh- yeah. whichever island you go to. Even even on Tenerife and, and Gran Canaria, there are b- beautiful places to discover. Absolutely, and it's great for star uh, star watching as well, isn't it? For good for if you're in a star oh yeah, it's that's amazing. It's, there's so much less light pollution than uh, than you have in in yeah. the, near the London area or wherever I've been living in my life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can really see the Milky Way at night. That's spectacular. You can really see it as a kind of straight line yeah. uh, of all those uh, stars. Yeah, and, uh, isn't yeah. It, is it just the sky is wonderful, isn't it? I just absolutely beautiful as well. You know, we could talk. We could have an, we could have another podcast about about nature in the sky, <laughs> what we can see and what we can't see and why we can't see it because of the pollution. But anyway, <laughs> um, um, I mean, yeah, I suppose. I mean, forests are. I, I mean, you're going to sort of come back to that, really. I mean, they're not just beautiful places or, or fun to go to. There are obviously many reasons why they're important for us and for the planet. Um, Obviously, we gave today's podcast the title 10 Reasons Why We Need Forest. So um, we've kind of sort of outlined a, a few to, to, to talk about. So uh, I suppose one reason to start with, obviously, I'm a photographer and a filmmaker. So one of my great um, sort of sources of inspiration is, is, is the forest and is nature. So creative inspiration is the first one. 
So I suppose if you're feeling us in a, you know inspired, you know, look for your nearest plant. It's a good start. <laughs> um, obviously, when we, we look at greenery, our brain's attention circuits are recalibrated in a way. Um, you know, it restores our, our creativity. It also improves our focus. And I, I don't know if you know, but there's actually a discipline called eco-psychology, how it looks at how immersion in nature benefits your health. Um, obviously, um, it's, it just it reduces stress and it promotes healing as well. But, um, you know, policymakers and employers, healthcare providers are, are increasingly considering the human need for nature and in, in how they plan and operate the facilities they have. Um, they say, actually, there's a study that's been done recently by a team led by Matthew White of the European Centre for the Environment and Human Health at the University of Exeter. Um, they did a study of over 20,000 people and they've kind of worked it out that we need two hours a week um, for the sort of optimum effect on us for, for nature. So if you kind of, you know, work that out, how long it's going to take you to, you know, rack up those two hours for a week for being out in nature, maybe you could do it all in one day. But um, obviously, the more you spend in nature, the better it is for you. Uh, so um, the, the research that they did was actually in green, sp uh, green spaces, you know, not just in forests, but actually in local parks as well, um, other natural environments as well. Um, and it was done over several visits, so they kind of they really looked at it. Um, and as obviously our psychological well-being is is um, is better when we do it than when we don't. So um, and it's great for people with all different occupations as well. That's another thing that they did. They kind of got people from different ethnic groups, people from rich and poor areas, people with chronic illnesses, people with disabilities, and it and it's bene it benefits all of us. Um, I think that's what I love nature about so much is that it's. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your belief system is, how much money you've got in your pocket. When you're when you're standing next to a tree, we're all the same, really, you know. Um, so, yeah, really, I suppose these, these studies have shown that, you know, as long as people feel safe in nature. So, um, I mean, you sort of mentioned uh, British Columbia, and I think you're going to say about the, sort of the, the grizzlies or something. But, you know, as long as there's not one of those peering <laughs> over, are over grizzlies, your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, At least a grizzly will feel safe. <laughs> exactly um but you know if you're in a if if you're in nature and as long as you can feel safe in nature so you know you have you've got access to whatever however your level of whatever you feel safe in nature some people feel safe climbing rock climbing um obviously people don't people don't but um um it, it's an antidote for stress it lowers your blood pressure it it reduces your stress hormone levels it reduces your sort of nervous system arousal as well, and it, and it enhances your immune system. So it's fantastic, obviously, with this COVID and, and all these other things that are sort of going around, and just even your general flu thing and just your general well-being. It's also good for, like, um, attention deficit disorder. And um, so, you know, if you've got children with that, you know, who are sort of experiencing that difficulty at the moment, get them out into nature. Take them out to this to a quiet place to, to look at leaves and look at the fractal patterns in leaves to help them trace the you know the branches of the trees how many tree leaves how many branches can they see help them focus their minds differently and of course the sound the acoustics in nature is and especially in a forest is so much it's so it's so different to a normal school environment home environment workplace environment where you get all these reflective surfaces so absolutely phenomenal um difference it makes to people who have um attention deficit disorder and it's also as well you know just you know if people are aggressive just you know um as well if you're with if you're with a partner who's aggressive take him out into nature <laughs> i'm saying him it could be her of course <laughs> mm -hmm. um but um it also speeds the rate of healing uh the psychiatric unit research has found that being in nature reduced feelings of isolation 
uh, promoted uh, calm as well and, and lifted the mood of, of patients. Um, obviously, we you know we spoke last. I think it was last week. I've lost track now. It seems so much has happened over the last <laughs> week, but good and bad. Um, as, but cities are adding um, and enhancing parks for for people. Uh, schools as well and other institutions are, are designed with like large windows so you can see out to the trees and the green spaces also blue spaces are really good um you know if, if you've got like a lake outside or if you're you know just got beautiful you know um um views of of the sky as well is also good and um, for us but um but also among these particularly the next generation workforce they're demanding access to green spaces so if you're going to look in, look to attract the best talent um, basically bring in the green you know and 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 as a human you know as, as a sort of citizen of, of the world where we can actually do something as well we can you know support and volunteer um you know different wildlife trusts you know the rsp you know royal society for protection of birds over here the wetland trust i know in america there's the children and nature network the trust for public lands there's loads of them as well that we can talk about and um People can you can just you know get in, get involved in. I mean, I don't know if there's any way to our listeners if there's any local organisations that you're working with at the moment. We'd love to hear what you're you know um, maybe at the end of the of the call or something. Just tell us where you're. Yeah. It's it's interesting <clears throat> what you're saying because I'm um I'm often wondering why I like walking. Is it because I walk in nature or is it because I enjoy walking? Um, uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's that's typically something I'm. I'm I often wonder why I like to be uh, outside so much. Is it is it let's say the sportive active of walking? So, would I enjoy walking many hours in a city less than walking uh, many hours in a forest? And I think that's yeah, the answer is clearly clearly less. I I, I do enjoy walking in a forest or in nature more than walking in the city even though as an urban geographer i always enjoy walking in cities because i i'm, I'm kind of trained to see things other people don't see okay. um I, I i i look at structures and planning decisions etc which i always find fascinating in, in in cities but yes i enjoy more being out in nature so i think a lot of all all these all these things that you mentioned i i recognize that and i um i also when I'm not in nature for a while, I really nearly physically miss it that I really want to, to, to get back to nature. And it's something I wasn't aware of when I was when I was younger. I think that is more something that developed over the years, this this more being more appreciative of nature. And I and therefore you mentioned children. I think it's so important to to connect children to nature because I, I think most children don't uh, don't get that enough. And uh, well, we said ten reasons why forests are important. I think we covered only one or two, maybe. So let, let me give a few more. Otherwise, we go on the whole day, which which I don't mind, by the way. But um, uh, I think another reason why forests are important <clears throat> is that they they provide essential resources. I mean, so forests are nice for you know for fun and being out in nature, etc. Um, but forests also provide a lot of the resources that we need in, in our daily lives. So um, just look around in your house, you know, how many things are made from, from wood? <clears throat> Sorry, losing my voice here. <clears throat> voice here. I'm not so emotional about trees, but just losing my voice for a moment. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, just, just uh, I mean, look on your desk where you're sitting now. So many things are made from wood or from, from forest products and 
uh, a lot of household items or your furniture and even your books they're derived from from forest resources so uh, and then look at the the floors or the doors or you know anywhere around you timber is the primary material that is is used to construct homes in in, in many countries all over the world um uh, many families all over the world rely on wood to to fuel and heat their homes so so yeah, that's another reason why forests are important. We just need it to to lead the kind of life that we are living, and we have needed that for 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 many centuries or millennia already. And and a completely different one uh, to mention as well is another reason of, of the importance of forest. And it's it's good that we have one day a year that we think about that. But that is uh, biodiversity. And forests are it's it's just a lot more than just some 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 trees planted together. Although some municipalities think that if they just plant some trees that you have a forest, but uh, you have to 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 think about the, the enormous diversity. I mean that that could be from from huge yurong utangs uh, living in a forest all the way to you know the, the tiniest animals that are so small that you don't even see them or the tiniest plants that you don't even see them or or look at the the complex way how ants uh, are uh, have organized their life in the in the forest um for instance the forest i mentioned on the island where i normally go go running I know exactly that somewhere I'm passing something. I, I once posted about it on Twitter. I call it the Ant Highway. Somewhere on the path where I'm running, and it's every year at exactly the same spot, uh, there's a kind of highway of of, of ants uh, walking over over my path, and, and, and hundreds of them every minute. And that is as long as I've been been running there, I, I always see this 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 path of these ants walking there. So that must be many many generations already that are using that uh, that area, and it's it's fantastic to see this this complexity of uh, of biodiversity. So if you if you look at how important it is, if you look at the land based plant and animal species, of course you have sea forest as well, uh, but that's a different thing. But if if you look at the the, the land-based plants and animals, about 80% of them live in forests. So if you see, let's say if you have a lawn in your, your backyard, that is, from a biodiversity point of view, an absolute desert. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, it's, it's a pity that we have so many uh, pieces of grass for every house everywhere in the world um, that that has a piece of grass instead of that we grow there uh, more more diverse nature uh, that that would have been so much better for 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 the planet for many reasons and i can understand people want a little piece of grass to sit on or to lay on or whatever but having these huge lawns that some of those rich houses have is an absolute waste of 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 lands that could be used for for nature for trees and for animals etc so yeah so those were were two more so so yeah the essential yeah. resources and the biodiversity what more do we have how do we get to 10 uh, there's probably more than 10 reasons why forests yeah, are important that, yeah i mean there are there's like loads but i just wanted to go come back to you actually on that um on the sort of natural products in your home 
I, you know, see, I'm, I'm kind of, I was talking about biophilic design, but actually that's it. We want more natural products in our home because actually that's better than relying on the petrochemical industry for many reasons now, especially if, you know, see what the last week has flagged up. So, um, and, and the, the guy who um, we often quote for, in biophilic design, um, E.O. Wilson, Edward Wilson, um, he wrote a book called Biophilia. And he was talking about our, in, our, our innate connection to nature and actually his life work. And one of the things that he specialised in was ants. And he followed colonies of ants uh, out, I think it was in South America. Um, fascinating story, fascinating research. Um, and like you say, they always go back to the certain place and the hierarchy and the structures and everything like that. And uh, I think it's a really good idea if we can have, um, you know, a whole mass of plants and, and wild flowers and things in, in our grass, in our, you know, in a normal home, if you're kind of, say, people in the West, if we've got a bit of grass, um, I'm looking outside at the moment and I'm, you know, as you probably can imagine, my grass is not pristine. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> there's lots of sort of lumps and bumps and, and things in it. But it's um, it's and I've, I'm not right now. There's butterflies and bees and wasps. And even though it's really early season, because there's lots of little flowers and I've got crocuses and, and snowdrops and everything kind of growing in the thing. Plus, the cherry trees are offering a haven. Um, it's just lovely to see that biodiversity. And it gives me so much joy. Absolutely so much joy. So, um, yes, just to reiterate what you said. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of, I suppose, number four. Um, also, jobs depend on forest. I mean, I suppose if you think about it, it's probably, you know, quite, quite glaringly obvious. But. Um, you know, like you mentioned, like, where do we get our, tr- you know, our tables from? Someone's going to have to go and log the, the trees down. Someone's going to have to, you know, do the carpentry on them and, and also, you know, do the do the putting together thing, the woodworking side of things. Um, but they've also got, you know, it's also the, the people that sustain those forests, the cons- conservationists, the rangers, the foresters. Um, uh, you know, even even like sort of tour guides and, and people, um, you've got the people who actually plant the trees, I suppose. And, you know, I mentioned about foraging mushrooms, but there's people that go out and do that. And there's there's cooks and chefs and things that that also rely on those that edible um, wild, you know, the edible wild. I can actually just that that's probably is a noun that stands on its own in terms of food. But I like that edible wild. I'm going to go with that one. Uh, you heard it here first, listeners. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can coin it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but um, apparently 1.6 billion people rely on forests for their livelihoods. I mean, and that's phenomenal. I mean, not only do we we rely on on uh, forest to live <laughs> for um you know for for the climate and everything but actually there's it's a ripple effect across the a global economy um as you say down to paper and everything else and cardboard and packaging and just so many things that are, are made are made from these from from uh from the you know the boon that grows in a forest you know so um i don't know so i'm talking about climate i suppose i suppose you've got you've got one on, on climate have you alex Oh yes, of course. <laughs> I can have many on climate, but yeah. So, yeah, so uh, forest and climate, there's a, there's a very clear uh, relationship, of course. And uh, what you, if one for instance, is that forests are protecting against uh, extreme weather. Um, so think about floods and landslides and cyclones and droughts and, 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 and forest fires, etc. All of that is increasing. But if you have forests with roots that are, that are deep in the soil, that they, they hold everything together and that absorb 
stormwater before it can do serious damage. For for those that follow me on Twitter may remember the picture that I showed of a tree on my island that is um, that is standing quite high, and you see all its roots how it keeps together uh, the the soil by its roots. I mean, it, it's it's such a good picture to illustrate what what roots are doing. If if I find it, I'll I'll I'll, I'll share it uh, share it again for for those listeners that are also following me on Twitter. So um, uh, that works. And then the 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 bark of many trees is actually fire resistant. Uh, think, for instance, about um, the famous uh, sequoia trees. Uh, so it it slows the spread of wildfires. And uh, there there are leaves on the ground and leaves on the trees itself that gradually release water vapor and therefore it reduces uh, the the temperatures. Um, um, the 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 root systems also buffer for for coastal communities against cyclones and. They have the canopies of trees that, that shelter us from uh, harmful um, UV, uh, ultraviolet uh, rays. And so there's so many aspects where, um, where forests uh, defend us against extreme weather. And that is typically when, when you, you often hear a lot about the word resilience. And if you have a very diverse ecosystem... It, it is, you could say, by definition, much more resilient than any kind of monoculture. And, uh, and, and, and that is important. We need resilience for, for climate change, also uh, against biodiversity loss. And uh, I, th- I think it's of the utmost important that the world is, is doing more to, to protect forests. And you can do two things. You can protect forests and you can plant them again. And of course, it's wonderful that we're planting more forests. So, for instance, the European Union has planted now in the past decades uh, an amount of forests so that the total forest cover in the European Union has increased in the past decades with an area equal to the country of Portugal. And that is wonderful, of course, and, and, and we should should continue doing that. Um but that's only part of the story. At the same time, we lose uh, the enormous amount of of, of areas of, of tropical rainforest uh, in countries like Brazil and in Central Africa and, and the rainforest of, of Southeast Asia. And those are so much more complex and bio, biodiverse and ancient and, and, and resilient. And losing, um, losing that extremely important biodiverse systems that is something that we can never ever get back so you can you can try to replant a forest which is often in in tropical circumstances much more difficult than it is in in moderate landscapes because this this fertile layer of 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 ground is is quickly being washed away in the tropics um so you end up with bare rock and then you can't you can't do much there there's some some grass will grow there you can you can you can feed cows on it but it's it's you can you can it's really really difficult to regain a tropical forest that might cost uh, thousands of years uh if it's at least if it, if you talk about a bigger area so it's really really important to um to 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 protect uh those forests and and we're far from uh, from the level of protection that we uh, that we should have um 
Yeah, so that does also brings us to the water cycle. <laughs> it does, exactly. Um, and obviously it's World Water Day tomorrow, um, which is the 22nd of March. So the listeners who might be listening to this another day. So um, Tuesday, the 22nd of March, um, is World Water Day. Um, and obviously forests make it rain, actually. <laughs> so obviously the large forests can actually influence um, regional weather patterns. Um, if people remember that from their geography. <laughs> Yeah. Um, they can even create little microclimates as well. So it's an absolutely fantastic thing to um, try and preserve what we can. And if we obviously people are trying to replant them, but like you mentioned, you don't want monoculture. You want biodiversity. You need a mix of trees and planting up and down, you know, different heights and everything to create that microclimate. Um, obviously, the Amazon um, is a fantastic example. Um, you know, it's, it's been tragic that they've it's been um, it's been cut down and and sort of being used and, and for putting um other crops in um for short-term gain um unfortunately but um obviously that creates the atmospheric conditions uh that promotes um regular rainfall there but also in the nearby farmland so obviously the farmland then can grow crops and that sustains economy and helps peace and all sorts of things so there's a whole knock-on effect but um, but actually, the, uh, they say that that rainfall isn't just for the nearby farmland, but also even, even across the Great Plains of North America. You know, and that's a long way away. <laughs> that's a long way away from the Amazon. Um, so really, we should be um, trying to do all we can to just try and educate people or, or support them in, in preserving the, the, this old rainforest obviously in the Amazon and elsewhere around the world as well, in Indonesia and wherever there's, there's rainforest. And, um, and you mentioned tree roots and the tree root on your island. I have seen the photo of that, but I'm going to, I'm going to look out for it on your Twitter and, and see you post it again. So I'm going to hold you to that one. Um, but tree roots are great as well. Like, you know, in, when it's heavy rain, um, you know, like in low-lying areas where there are river plains and things, they help the ground absorb more um, than, than uh, the flash, you know, a flash flood. It helps reduce the soil loss um, and obviously going back to the economic kind of knock on effect, obviously the property damage. If people are living, you know, everybody likes to live by the river, so it's all very nice and all down, downwind of the river. Um, but, um, you know, this, this tree roots are an amazing thing and that's what they're doing. They're planting those, for instance, in, in biophilic cities. So in Birmingham, they're put, doing lots of tree planting for that very reason that they're trying to preserve uh, or trying to prevent that flooding. Because if you think about a lot of cities, there's a lot of um, concrete and lots of runoff. You know, there's no runoff. You know, basically, it, it floods. It, there's lots of heavier rain, and and it just floods everything. And there's nowhere for it to go. And because it's it's also helping capture and store that rainwater, which helps, um, you know, keep the um, temperature cooler and all sorts of things. So um, yeah, well, like well, we we both love trees. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you um, yeah. have you got anything else about water, or have you got another sort of thing? Oh gosh, so much. But um, yeah, when when you were talking about microclimate, I was thinking about the um the british owned um uh, island of ascension which is mm. about if um it's west of st helena so so roughly let's say if you would fly from uh, brazil to let's say senegal no probably more to like gabon or so you you would pass it uh, halfway and um that's uh that island uh which actually in the second world war was had briefly importance because brazil got involved in in, in the second world war uh, a little bit as well but there were planes flying from there which was a stop in africa on the way to europe and uh, the pilots uh, had to make a stop on ascension which is very small and difficult to find so 
sometimes they ran out of gas or kerosene uh, on their way to the island for that midway stop. And uh, they were then singing the song, if if we can't find ascension, our wives will get our pension. Um, but most of them managed to find the island, luckily. But um, uh, I'm drifting off in my, in my anecdote here. But on the island of ascension, it used to be an absolute barren island where there was really uh, nothing was growing there at all. Uh, a tiny little bit of, of grasses, uh, which were immediately eaten by the goats that some someday in a far long past, uh, the Spanish left on any island they passed. They always uh, let out two or four uh, goats uh, so that they would always find some food on islands that they were passing um, on their way when, when, when briefly Spain was ruling the world um, just about a century before the UK took over. Um, but uh, that was utterly dry, um, and it is from for island lovers kind of famous because the original person that uh, one of the two original persons that the type of Robinson Crusoe um, is uh, is based upon uh, was a guy, a Dutch guy actually, who was marooned on the island, and he kept a diary that somehow later found its way back to uh, London. Uh, and then inspired uh, Daniel Defoe in what was it, 1709, I guess, to write uh, uh, Robinson Crusoe. Um, the other guy is, by the way, Alexander Selkirk, who was on the other side of South America, uh, on the island of Masachera, which is another story I should someday talk about. But anyway, so this guy died on the island because there was just nothing, nothing growing there. Um, but then the in 1815 when napoleon was uh ban was uh, uh, transferred to to the island of saint helena um the uk said uh, we will never ever let this guy escape from an island again um and um they were never happy that he left uh, corsica nor were they happy that he uh, he left elba uh, so he said we'll keep him on this island for the rest of his life which was another six years until he died in 1821 um, but um, so therefore they put garrisons on islands in the neighborhood. And one of them was Ascension, where there was absolutely nothing to do. Um, and they so they sent a garrison there and um, they had nothing to do. But uh, one guy um, was interested in gardening. And since ships were passing by between uh, on the route between India and uh, and London, and they made a stop there. He, uh, this guy, started the correspondence both with captains of the ships, but also of the guy uh, who ran Kew Garden in London, <laughs> and asked them, uh, since all these ships from all over the world bring uh, seeds of plants and trees to Kew Garden, if you've got a few spare ones left, can you send them with the next ship uh, to Ascension and give them to me? And and so they oh. this this correspondence led to all kinds of seeds from all over the world being sent to this guy, who then walked up all the way to the top of the mountain where there's a, a, a tiny lake with some fresh water, and started to use that water to plant all kinds of trees from all over the world on this island where nothing was growing. And now, after uh, after all these years, there's a lush forest growing on top of this once barren island that has created, and that was a very long story to get to, to the microclimate, has created its own damp microclimate with an amazing 
combination of 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 plants and trees that you find never anywhere in the world. Um, uh, so this is a bit of kind of a hobby grown into a bizarre <laughs> nature experiment. Um, uh, maybe I should someday write a book about this island because I'm fascinated about the story. So anyway, I was this was not at all planned that I would talk about Ascension or that I would talk about Robinson Crusoe or that I would talk about Alexander Selkirk or the island Masachera or the island Ascension or St. Helena. Um, let's go back to reasons why... Um, uh, the International Forest Day is so important. And uh, one uh, interesting one, and you were talking about water, is that uh, this year's theme uh, for uh, World Water Day, uh, as you said, is every year on the 22nd of March. And the theme this year is groundwater. And groundwater is um, is another important reason why we should be careful with our forest because a forest basically works like a giant sponge and it, it catches off the, the runoff uh, rather than just, just letting it roll across the surface. And, and of course, they can't absorb it all. But water that gets past these roots then trickles down and down further into the ground, into aquifers. So it replenishes groundwater supplies that are so important for drinking, sanitation and irrigation around the world. So if if you wouldn't have the trees, and a good example of what happened is, uh, or a bad example of what happened is, for instance, the, the forest fires in Australia two years ago, when the forest burned down, which was one disaster, which was uh, clearly had its uh, climate change fingerprints on it. Once they had burned down, uh, then you uh, you got enormous floodings, and and those floodings were because the trees has gone because of the fire. So these the, the problems with these floodings were an indirect result of climate change because climate change first led to the forest fires and then led. Uh, to uh, to uh, that that water runoff, and that also leads to that because the water goes away so fast that there's no time to 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 let it trickle into the ground. The ground has also become a kind of hard clay because it was dried in in the sun so much. Um, so yeah, so so uh, the 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 soaking up surface runoff um, is also protecting ecosystems downstream. So modern uh, stormwater increasingly uh, is is uh, and that's that's another element that I wanted to mention. It's it's about pollution. So you find much more toxic chemi- chemicals from gasoline and fertilizer and pesticides and pig manure and whatever. Uh, that that is all accumulating through these watersheds, and they lead to to low oxygen dead zones, and and so there's yeah, so that's that's another aspect to uh, to keep in mind here. Yeah, absolutely. As as you say, I mean, it's um, trees. Juice trees are amazing. <laughs> Everybody go plant a tree. Um, yeah, I mean, so I suppose another one is that um, another um, reasons for to love forests really is there's 300 million people live in forests worldwide, um, which is that's a, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I wish I was one of them. I know, me too. <laughs> Neighbours. <laughs> um, and um, and 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 there's, there's an ex- estimated 60 million indigenous people who survive on on native woodlands 
um, you know, it's, it's so important um, to, um, to, to, to actually consider this as well. I mean, when we're thinking about sourcing what, you know, our, the products that we're using in our home as well, you know, are, are we taking away woodland or forest where these people are living? It's, it's you know, um, you know, again, again, it comes down to consumer choice and consumer education and also the retailers and the manufacturers and, you know, people wanting a quick buck very quickly. Um, the impact that um, the, the wrong product can have on a community um, and a whole, not just the whole ecosystem and not just, um, you know, wildlife community, but actually people community as well. Um, I mean, there's, there's many, many millions more in, in addition to those, you know, 300 million and the 60 million people who live in these in these things. And the survival actually depends on them. But there's millions more that live along or, or, or near the forest fringes, um, you know, and actually, um, I mean, we spoke about it before, but being near trees, being near urban trees can um, can reduce crime. You know, as I said before, it can reduce sort of aggressive behaviour and stuff. So um, in terms of um, um, making communities happier, safer, more successful, um, and, um, you know, forests, forests are important from that point of view as well, really, aren't they? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a good one. And I can think of another one, which is that uh, forests uh, clean up air pollution mm-hmm. on on a large scale. So it's not just CO two, which is of course that that we all learned about at school, uh, but trees also absorb a wide range of, of all kinds of airborne borne pollutants. Uh, so so carbon monoxide, for instance, and sulfur dioxide and nitrogen dioxide. So the the socks and the knocks, as people call them, uh, and um, so in the U.S. alone, for instance, urban trees are estimated to save 850 lives per year, and also uh, nearly seven billion dollars in total healthcare costs just by removing pollutants from the air. So that's actually a good return on investment in having trees in your cities. Um, because it 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 saves lives and it and it improves the quality of life by having less people getting ill and and yeah of course Americans love to to put money numbers on anything well seven billion that's that's worth a few trees I would say absolutely yeah and the good thing to do is actually plant it in those areas where people are suffering from um, you know uh, carbon. Um, dioxide, carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen dioxide pollution. Um, you know, we, we talk about. You I mean you know, Alex, you're very um, supportive of it. That you know, it's, it's to do with wildlife and nature equity. So not just planting the trees in the posh areas, but actually planting it in the downtown. You know, downtown urban areas as well, where they, they don't really care. I mean, there's lots of pollution. There's lots of you know the, the temperatures of the city areas. You know, the you know the yeah, the, the poorer areas, they they need to have the, the trees planted as well. But um, I suppose another one um, is, is uh, providing food security and nutrition as well. Um, you know, obviously for many rural communities, the forests are the sort of neighbourhood sort of um, places they go for their groceries, the grocery stores, if you want. Um, they're great for, as we mentioned, sort of like foraging for wild foods, you know, like your mushrooms and things, but also your berries, um, you know, the the sort of tubers that are under the ground, the nuts as well, um, you know, leaves and, and uh, things, and, you know, wild garlic, all sorts of things that grow among forests as well. 
you know, and the wild animals too. Um, obviously, you know, we might be vegetarian, um, but um, people do eat things that are living in trees as well, you know, living in the forest. So they're an important source of protein for some of these communities that might not have access to um, to cheese or alternatives or whatever. But um, um, And they also play um, an important role in... Uh, in, in food preparation, if you think about it, because they use use it for cooking. They use it use um use the fuel, they cut the wood for the for the fuel. So that's about apparently it's about one third of the world's population uses wood, still still using wood fuel for cooking. So wow. Um, yeah. So yeah. So food security and nutrition. That's huge. Which which the food security and nutrition would would bring us to number ten of of all the reasons why uh, why forests are so important. But but if I can add another one, number eleven, I, I could actually we could easily go on to twenty. But then I think we we will will take people's working day away from them by <laughs> by listening too long. But one that I think we we shouldn't forget about is um, that forests are of course natural carbon sinks or at least they should function as natural carbon sinks and so the way that we interact with forests can either slow down or uh, exacerbate the climate crisis and and trees and other plants grow as as they as trees and plants are growing they they absorb carbon dioxide um as 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 i said we all learned that at school and then they store that carbon dioxide in their trunks and in their roots and the branches and, and mm. soil. So each year, the world's forests absorb 16 billion metric tons of CO2. And that is, uh, that is about 40% of the global fossil fuel em- emissions. So um, from all the CO2 that we are producing, that is the main reason why we have this 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 climate problem that is that we are uh, creating it and that it and the main pollutant that we talk about is CO two. There are all kinds of other gases. There are other reasons as well, but it's it's if you if you want to keep it simple, it, we are burning fossil fuels and we are making the wrong use of the land in many different ways, and all that creates to more. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions, of which the main one is CO2, and then that the forest in the world can uh, can 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 take back forty percent of what we emit. Uh, that 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 is, it is the best uh, CCS, the best uh, carbon capture and storage um, technique that exists in the world and that is the, 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 the hundreds of millions of years, the literally billions of years old technique uh, long before we ever walked on the planet of, uh, of, of doing what plants and trees are kind of doing. And of course, there's all kinds of, 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 of professors now that are working on amazing machines that are able to capture CO2 out of the air. Um, but uh, until now, nothing is as efficient as just using trees for that. And, and so that is a, an extremely important function uh, of forest. If we wouldn't have the forest, uh, climate change would be much, much worse. And that is that is also uh, an argument why we should do all that we can 
to 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 protect and preserve uh, the forest on 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 the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, people thinking, oh, you know, I don't have a forest near me. They can um, they can actually you can you can do the same thing. You can pl- put plants in your house, uh, just just for the records, because they do the similar thing. Not obviously not as good as a tree, but um, you get cleaner air. Um, they did a, I think I mentioned before, this NASA study, but um, they, they've proved that plants can remove up to 87% of common airborne toxins in just 24 hours. And that's amazing. So, um, you know, you want your mother-in-law's tongues in your bedroom. So if you've got like really manky, manky wardrobe and sort of really, you know, sort of all that sort of nice wood stuff, it's fine. You're not going to get, you're not going to get sort of, you know, some toxicity. But if, like most people seem to have these sort of laminate furniture, make sure you've got plants in there as well. But the mother-in-law's tongue is best for that. But um, yeah. Make sure you stick that in there. Um, and obviously, they, as I said, they absorb the airborne toxin. So that's really good for your, your lungs. It's for your respiratory conditions as well. So if you've got a bit of asthma or you've got a bit of a cough or a bit of a thing, you know, you make sure you put some you know, indoor plants in there as well. And it's also good for reducing your, your headaches as well. So if you're finding yourself having an increase in headaches, have a look at your, you know, your area where, you're, where you live. Um, in your home, this is, is actually, is, but it could be indoor air pollution. And which may be something we could talk about another time, actually, about how we, uh, what indoor air pollution is, what it, how it's what's caused it, and um, and what we can look at. So um, yeah, that's but, amazing. Might help yeah. against the sick building syndrome as well, well which it does. which used it to be does. kind of a hype ten years ago. Everybody was talking about the sick building syndrome, but I think since nobody goes to the office anymore, you don't, you don't hear so much about it <laughs> exactly. anymore. Yeah, but that's why we need biophilic design so that we stop it. So we <laughs> we need to yeah. put these natural things and, and patterns of nature in in our in our workplaces. And particularly in our healthcare and our education facilities, and and then definitely in our homes as well. So, um, but this, I don't know if you've heard this sort of uh, you know Shinrin Yuku, you know this sort of forest bathing. Um, you know, they've, that's they've proven that actually, um, you know, being being walking in nature is really good for us. You know, and Japanese doctors have actually prescribed this is where it's come from, this Shinrin Yuku. And this forest bathing, and it prevents anxiety. You know, well, it prevents, but actually, it treats anxiety. Actually, it prevents it as well, but it actually treats it too. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at the clock a bit, and normally towards the end, oh, we, we we yeah. ask uh, people to uh, uh, to ask questions, and I'm I'm happy to see that uh, uh, Steve Breedlove just joined us, who's a uh, 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 a gardener uh, uh so he must uh, he, he he may have missed something in this show because he only just uh, joined but uh, thanks to steve for joining and who's uh, says he's a critical optimist and uh, and he says ecosystem restoration now so i'm glad that steve is joining um i have two callers um uh joshua and evelyn uh, let's start with joshua joshua we did already treat uh, the, the hemp question in, in previous sessions but um, but please join us with other questions or comments. Thanks for preempting me on hemp. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was not where I was going to start. Uh, and uh, I, 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 do, I did this to my professors too. So you guys are not alone in me trying to chime in early. Uh, what I did want to bring up is how we kind of uh, maybe bridge gaps across countries on these types of issues because I think most of your audience will agree with everything that you guys have said about, you know, the strength of forests, especially on this day. So in this country, we have indigenous leaders at the National Park Service. We have an indigenous leader at BLM, I believe, and Deb Havland. Uh, Chuck Sams is at the National Park Service 
He is a member of the Confederated Tribes of Umatilla Indian Reservation, and they are headed up by Don Sampson as well. Uh, these are all leaders in regards to climate. Um, and, uh, you know, we also have seen AOC talk on these issues, um, and NASA is talking on the issues. In fact, they've led all the research into climate for decades. So, I mean, when we're looking at these things, those are the types of people that I would love to hear from on your guys' calls. If you can bridge those gaps and reach out to those entities. And uh, Colleen Sanders at the Confederated Tribes Umatilla Indian Reservation is in charge of their climate adaptation plan. Okay, yeah, that is uh, that is a great suggestion. I uh, there's a, a lot of um, a lot of writing and a lot of thinking done and a lot of campaigning done uh, on uh, making use of um, indigenous uh, knowledge uh, as well as um, uh, involving indigenous uh, leaders uh, in 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 countries all over the world. So so yes, in, in, in the US, here in Canada, it's a thing as well. And and also when you, uh, when it's about, let's say things like protecting uh, protecting the Amazon rainforest, um, it's an issue that, that often comes up as well. And it of course, completely makes sense um, in, 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 from any point of view, I mean, morally, as well as, uh, as, as, as uh, scientifically, um uh, probably even from an economic perspective that uh, the indigenous leaders the that are representing the people that have uh, lived uh, with and and within uh forests uh, for 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 many many generations that they uh, that they are uh, involved or have a leading uh, role uh, like the examples you just gave and and yeah, I'm I'm all for it. What, what are you thinking, Nas? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I think it's lovely when we can talk to local local communities, local people, because you know they've they've been tending the land and looking after the land and living by the land all that time. As I, I think I've mentioned before when I, I did my work with Photo Aid, and you know, we went out to um, we were with the nomadic tribes in Uganda, and they work on the Horn of Africa. So that's obviously Somaliland, Eritrea, and Ethiopia. But how the the tribes just naturally went north and south. You know, they took their their animals um, when it was a dry season and the wet season. And then, because what what they, they don't what they don't want them to do anymore, they want to make them more sedentary. So of course, it's causing issues because what they would naturally have just followed the land, naturally followed the the seasons. Um, they can't do that anymore. Um, you know, I mean, I'm saying same thing, similar thing actually happened um, in. Uh, in Arabia, wasn't it, with the divvying up of the land where, you know, the tribal, they wanted initially, they wanted a, not not a um, lines in the sand, as it were, but they wanted a tribal um, barrier, you know, tri- tri- not barrier isn't the word, that's the, that's completely the opposite. They wanted the, um, wanted to be divvied up amongst the sort of tribe, a moving, a moving uh, line, which would have been so much better. But anyway, that's, that's another, that's another that's a political issue, which we're not talking about on the, thing but um but yeah i think and also old wives tales you know i think that's just fantastic you know all the little things that you can do like for instance planting um um garlic with your roses prevents aphids and stuff stuff like that you know we can if we talk to people like our older generations as well as you know people who have lived lived in in a community and a, and a space and a world and a and a and an area for a long time i think it's a, it's, a, it's vital 
that they feel respected as well. You know, so mm. yeah, completely, completely. Yeah, there's a, amazing knowledge uh, available under um, uh, local populations or indigenous populations that are. Uh, sometimes stuns uh, scientists. So, yeah. going briefly back to islands and moving away from forests, but you get one example: the the, the Polynesians, for instance, uh, who were sailing from the one island to the other. And of course, those islands you 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 couldn't see because the Earth is round. So, uh, a small low lying island is you just don't see it once it's it's more than let's say thirty kilometers away, yeah. and. Um, so one of the many ways that um, those classic Polynesian uh, sailors knew that there was another island was that uh, one guy just went laying on his back in one of those canoes and was listening to the waves and then could listen by the frequency and the sound of these waves that they were... Um, how do you say that? They were kind of reflected. So waves that crush on on the beach of an island sent a signal back and they were able to hear it, which is for you, uh, me and any listener here, absolutely impossible. If we go and lay in such a canoe, we don't hear a thing. But they could, so, so that kind of knowledge is... Is fascinating, and that's the same about herbs and medicines, and 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 how to how to plant, how to do long term preservation of forest, etc. There's so much knowledge there. So, and and of course, from a political point of view, and from point of view of of of, of fairness and equality and equal chances, and 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 also from the point of view of making making the best uh, use of the uh, knowledge and skills that you have in a society all of these things plead for uh for having more uh, involvement in in uh decision making uh uh on 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 all these kinds of issues and how to use the land basically by um by indigenous people um evelyn is still uh waiting so evelyn please join us and thanks so much for uh, for being back in uh, in the show Okay, kind of a bad moment because I'm right next to a main road heading for the train station, but can you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you, including the car that was just passing you by, but we hear you okay. Yeah, sorry, I'm <laughs> just going under an underpass, so it should be better in just a second. Um, okay, uh, I have a lot of tree stories. I grew up next to a forest, and I agree with everything you said. I live close to a to to a forest so i i just i love it i couldn't say anything bad about it but there was something else i wanted to ask you about and it's like you were talking about wildlife and it's not so much forests but just trees in general how do you feel about beavers because i've been walking along the the Rhine in recent weeks and there's so many trees that are felled by um, beavers and I sort of I love trees I love beavers so I don't know how I feel about that and they're uh, protected in Switzerland so there's not really much you can do but I do feel bad for all those trees because they, some of them are really big ones that have been around for a while, so it's like, 
Yeah. yeah. That's, suppose, that's my question. Yeah, Sorry. No, it's, it's, a really, it's a really good question, isn't it? Because when you reintroduce things, it's like wolves. You know, there's you, you introduce one thing and it causes another issue. Um, it's good that we have beavers, uh, you know, from one point of view, but obviously because they um, they do, as you, you know, they do not, you know, cut, you know, um, bite the trees down. I don't know, they gnaw the trees down. I don't know what they're doing. I know they, I know they don't have saws. <laughs> so however they fell the trees with their teeth, um, whatever that technical term is. Um, but, you know, they do that and that helps that helps them to do with the water flow and, and things, doesn't it? And it also helps the biodiversity in, the, um, in that um you know, in the area where they are. So there's, there's a benefit to have them. Um, obviously, I don't know how, wh- where, the, where the critical um, level is when they start felling X amount of trees and it becomes an issue to the biodiversity of that area. Then I suppose that you've got to look at um, introducing um, uh, control of some kind, whether that's like, you know, picking them up and sticking them somewhere else <laughs> or whether it's, um, you know... Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how you would manage it, but uh, but it's an interesting question. Actually, I don't know, Alex. Do you have any any sort of thoughts on on, uh, on beavers? Yeah, I, I like your comparison with uh, with rolled wolves uh, because it's uh, of course there's this well known story of of, mm. of reintroducing wolves in Yellowstone, and it's an amazing video. If if uh, if if some of you haven't seen it, uh, Google uh, wolves in Yellowstone, and it's it's fascinating what how they impact it. But there's uh, a very similar story um, of uh, the role of beavers, although they are not um, uh, hunters preying on 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 other animals that 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 plays a role but there. But it's 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 the the way how they uh, Im- improve the the the, the complete um, uh, ecosystem. You really need them. We reintroduced them in the Netherlands and uh, in in the southeast and Limburg. They came back. Um, you also see in America that after they were nearly extinguished uh, in um, in the uh, in the nineteenth century, which all had to do. By the way, that's a fascinating story. I should write about it someday. Uh, this time it was not about an island, although it started on an island. It started on, on, on in England. Um, but uh, there was this one nobleman in a in a round. I'm not sure, but I would guess about 1840 or 1850, who was kind of a dandy and well known in, in in London. And he one day uh, came to an, an important social event wearing a, a beaver hat, and nobody had ever worn a beaver skin hat. And that became so popular that suddenly everybody in London, and then everybody in the rest of the of the of the uh, let's say developed world, I don't know if you used that word in those days, wanted to have beaver hats, and and so the price for beaver skins went sky high, and that is why um, in in uh, Canada and in in let's say the the uh, the American West. Um, uh, so the, the Great Plains uh, uh, area mainly, but also further west, um, this this massive hunting on beavers started, and it went on for decades. And and these uh, trappers went further up and up the rivers to to kill them, and they they nearly extinguished all of them. Um, um, they are recovering now, and uh, they. Uh, uh, create um, because they are they're they're felling these trees. 
they create wetland habitats for other species. And as everybody knows nowadays, wetlands, which in the past we used to call marshes, but they had a kind of negative connotation. Wetlands are extremely biodiverse and important uh, for many, many species. So what they do, they, they create dams. And by creating dams, they create ponds. And once you have these ponds uh, that creates habitats for fish or for mammals or for uh, birds that are that are staying there for a while or amphibians and insects. And uh, uh, so so wetlands are extremely important and, and they really play an, an important role. And by doing so, they increase uh, the biodiversity. And uh, so it's it's uh, it not just only for the animals, as I just mentioned, but also for plant uh, uh, diversity. Um, so they 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 uh, they they fell these trees. You get water, and because of this water, you get a completely different ecosystem with different plants, um, and they provide uh, food uh, that that new species can use. Um, so it's it's uh, the, these these uh, these habitats are extremely important, and then also another thing is that um, they improve water quality. Um, so uh, uh, because these beaver dams, you can imagine that it reduces the soil erosion. So it 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 traps the sediments that would otherwise be be washed away. And it, it absorbs and it filters uh, pollutants. So as what I mentioned earlier, those things like pesticides and heavy metals and, and fertilizers. Um, so they, they, they kind of filter that out. Um, and then another thing, I, I also referring to what I mentioned earlier of that Australian example, not as uh, any beavers are living in Australia, of course, um, but it's, it's, it's the same parallel that... Um, because they they store water during droughts, um, it 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 strengthens the 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 resilience of the habitat. So it helps to replenish aquifers, uh, and it it um, it makes the the habitat less vulnerable uh, to to drought. So it's um, uh, and 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 also therefore there's there's less flooding. So um, yeah, what do you think, Ness? Yeah, I was just also going to say. Apparently, they um, they actually um, chew. <laughs> they chew on on smaller trees. That's what they prefer. They prefer to because obviously, they, well, apparently, their teeth grow so long, so quickly, um, and they've got to keep got to keep them down. You know, they've got to keep sort of them filed, as it were. So it's like, so it's a bit like nails, a cat you know? that's scratching to keep the nails shorter. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're doing it for the teeth. Um, okay. So, but but they, what they do is they don't go for the big trees. They go for the small trees, and they kind of they go up in like a spiral, and they and they aim to they they sort of they know to throw it towards the the, the water, you know, the, the existing body of water, which I think is fascinating anyway. Um, <clears throat> but um, if you think about it, that's actually natural, um, sort of under the tree canopy clearing as well. So then that allows for other plants and other biodiversity. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know other ecosystems oh. to grow in terms of, of planting so anyway so there's there is there's, there is a sort of um a, a, a rationale behind their behind their chewing <laughs> as well <laughs> it's so what happens to those teas i'm wondering so i mean if i would 
start to 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 nibble so much on wood that my teeth would get slower i think that would be hurting enormously and i don't think my teeth would grow back so they must have a completely different <laughs> system how, how teeth are growing yeah exactly they keep growing so i suppose it must be like horns you know like horns yeah. keep growing you know sort of like i think it must be that kind of same kind of i mean i don't know i mean i don't know what they're made of but i presume they've got an orange coating on them beavers yeah so um and it's it's because they just keep growing that's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I know with sharks that they have, you know, a lot of teeth. So they, when yeah. they bite, they often lose teeth. And millions of years later, you can still find them back. Um, but but they have a lot of them. But uh, this is this is an interesting thing. Okay, something to, to dive into. I love to read about um, uh, the kind of knowledge that you never need in your life, except when doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> so my brain is full of that kind of stuff. But this is an interesting one. So um, something to uh, to to read into. I see we've been talking already for more than an hour. Oh gosh, we, we're keeping all these people at their work or what whatever people are doing these days, or they want to go maybe do shopping or doing other things. And then they they keep listening to to two of us chatting so long. Um, any other questions of anyone? Otherwise, I'm going to refer you to the next podcast, which is. Um, which is on next Thursday. I see Josh uh, comes back in. Hi, Josh. Can I say Josh, by the way, or is it Joshua? Joshua's fine. So I'm actually out of the Northwest in in Oregon, so it's the Beaver State. Oh, lovely. um, Thanks for bringing that up. Anyway, one point I want to have us think about for a little maybe in the future is the impact of mining for cryptocurrency um, on the environment and the use of water. and how we address that and balance out its impact. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not an expert there, but what I read about it is that uh, these biocurrencies take an enormous amount of energy um, because uh, at the end, it's it's all uh, stored stored in computers worldwide. So, so is, by the way, uh, all social media uh, activity. Um, but I, I I remember reading about some calculations that it's 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 an enormous um, strain on on our planet if if we all move more and more into these uh, these these um, uh, these these uh, electronic forms of currencies like uh, like bitcoins. Uh, so that is uh, bad for. Uh, for the climate, bad for the environment. Uh, of course, climate and water are are practically hundred percent related to each other. Um, so um, I'm proud to say that I have absolutely zero uh, bitcoins, uh, which doesn't have too much to do with my um, uh, environmental considerations that I normally have with any decision. It's just that I I don't. Uh, invest in anything that I don't understand. And I don't understand the thing about Bitcoin. I'm constantly, by the way, contacted nearly daily by people that want me to become some kind of promoter of, do they call that NFTs? Um, And uh, since I don't understand the thing, I don't want to attach my name to something that I don't understand. And actually, since it's bad for the environment, I don't want to do it either. So um, I actually even stopped answering those uh, those people. I have no idea whether this is some kind of scam or whether these people are serious. Some of their letters look rather serious. 
Um, uh, but so did uh, the credit card company uh, that uh, contacted me two days ago asking me to uh, to give all kinds of details about my credit card. And uh, if I had questions, I could call a number. I was um, bright enough at that moment of the day to realize that I better refer to the other telephone number that was on the back of my credit card. And it turned out that this letter that was so eloquently written, including with my name spelled correctly this time, uh, was an absolute scam, and I reported it to the authorities, um, which is I'm drifting away again. What do you think about bitcoins and and yeah. and, and those kind of I things? Know, I, I admit I'm completely in agreement with you. I don't quite understand it. You know, I kind of understand blockchain because I understand that, and I understand the security side of things. Um, but I wouldn't invest in something I don't understand either. Um, you know, I kind of the NFT side of it. People have said to me that I should do that with my photographs and my images. But again, it's like, well, how, where do you start? How do you do it? And life's too short. <laughs> so I'm, I'm knocking on a bit now. And I'm like, I, that's the last thing I kind of want to sort of sit down and do, um, really. Um, and also, I think you have to have like a, you have to promote your stuff and all this sort of self-promotion malarkey, which I, I'm not, I hate doing. So, um, but yeah, and especially with the whole thing of, you know, the environmental side of things where the more electronic stuff, the more electronic storage we need, the more electronic processing we need, we need more energy. We need to use more resources, and even if it's renewable energy, then it's you come back to the mag, uh, to the, um, the the materials that are used in batteries, which are then that's got to got be got from somewhere, which then is causing another issue, which you mentioned in your brilliant podcast the other day um, about you know it's coming from Russia and other places, you know. So we kind of we've become more dependent on these other things that are going to replace the fossil fuels, the petrochemical industry. So um, I just I just I just try and live as naturally as possible. You know, as much as I can, um, because I don't like being controlled, <laughs> and, and I and I don't like having an impact. I don't like, you know, if I can reduce my impact on the environment, then you know I can sleep a little bit better at night. And um, the the thing with the water and and the and the association with water and um, and um, like Microsoft or, or or you know and and these sort of you know these processing units. I went to a conference. It was a it was a business conference thing, and there was a lady quite high up, well, very high up in Microsoft, and she was talking about how they're submerging um, these processing units under the sea because um, they, it's cooler. You, but but actually, you think about it, they're actually using the natural resource of the temperature of a, of water below, you know, a certain amount of meters below the below the top. Um, below the surface, not top surface, <laughs> um, to to cool these these units down. You know, I mean, my my th- obviously thought is, well, what other impact is that having? You know, is that heating up the lo- just a bit around around the these these units, and then is it going to create you know affect the the, um, the the ecosystem around them? But you know, we could we could go on, Alex. We could we could discuss that. Maybe that is a, a thing for for another time. Actually. I think it's actually uh, there there is an interesting element in here that uh, both you and I don't have a clue what we're basically talking about on the bitcoins and the nfts etc and i i don't like the feeling not knowing anything about some kind of new development it's not even that new anymore mm-hmm. so who knows we should focus someday on um uh, and and get some kind of expert in there to tell us about yeah. okay what are these nfts what why is everybody talking about it because it's i 
I feel a little bit, you know, like a grandmother saying, why is everybody using email nowadays? Because we have perfectly, perfectly well letters and with beautiful stamps on them. So we don't need email. Um, and, and so I, I, I feel maybe I'm, I'm getting old if I'm not connected to these things. So maybe before I know that I don't agree or don't like it, maybe I should know more about it. But on the other hand, this is, as you say, there's only so many hours in a day and there's already so many issues that I'm interested in and that I try to focus on. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's funny to enter into an area where we both feel like, okay, here we just don't know anything about, um, which, is, which is a good way to, to, to slowly move towards the end of, 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 of today's podcast by realizing that there's so much more um, to, uh, to explore and to focus on. Um, you can always write to us. You can always contact us. I mean, either through call in or, uh, I think most of you are on Twitter as well, or, or you can, you can, you can easily find both of us, uh, on, on our names. Um, so if you have any suggestions for other issues that you would like to see discussed, um, or different approaches or any, any ideas that you have, you can always, um, always contact us. Um, we will be back next week, of course, every Monday at 11 Eastern time. I think by next week, we're back at six hours time difference. Uh, so yeah, if, if you are in Europe and if you are this weekend, uh, switching to, uh, summertime in that case, it's a six hour difference, uh, to, um, uh, to 11, um, uh, 11 in the morning in, in the U in the U S and, uh, and Canada, uh, which is the normal schedule we're on. It's only just two weeks. Uh, it's, it's still, yeah, it's four for the UK, uh, still four next week. Uh, I'm not four, sure. It's, it's, it's four o'clock next. It was three o'clock, three o'clock this week and four o'clock next week in the uk oh, so my, five, oh my five. oh yeah oh, oh it's not far as different it's four o'clock in so next week is three o'clock in the uk no next week is four o'clock next week's four o'clock in the uk which means next week is five o'clock uh for most on the continent in europe um so uh so which is a six hour difference with 11 a.m okay we sorted that out as we sorted out many things in this show today um, I think it was fun. I think you enjoyed I hope you enjoyed it too uh, for the speakers listening now and uh, for those uh, speakers uh, and those listeners um, who in the days to follow uh, will read this as well. Um, I'm saying read because I'm thinking about uh, writing something about um, uh, International Forest Day as well. But there's quite a lot going on. There's International Forest Day. There's also the day that the World Happiness Report came out. Those happy fins, they seem to be around, uh, are, again, the happiest people in the world, which may be another issue to write about. And it's also one of my favorite days of the year and tomorrow, which is World Water Day, which is um, also an, uh, an important day to, to celebrate. So lots going on next few days. Uh, the first time you will hear me again is on Thursday together with uh, Alistair Doyle. And uh, the regular listeners probably know that nowadays I'm often in the weekend just uh, grabbing the microphone without much preparation and uh, do talks as well. And I think all of you have been listening in to some of those as well. So that's it for today. Any last thoughts, Ness? No, just thanks everyone for listening. And, and uh, if I have to say something, go and hug a tree. <laughs>
hugging is always good, including including for trees. So uh, so hug somebody or hug a tree uh, because it's International Forest Day. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I really appreciate the live listeners and uh, and thanks for the clapping. <laughs> and uh, hope to uh, see and hear you all very soon. Okay, bye bye. Thank you.